1: Protests have erupted in Thailand as thousands call for reform.
2: And the Justice Department has released the implementing rules and regulations of the anti-terror law. So ano yung nandun?
1: Mula po sa Quezon City, ako si Robby Alampay, Puma Podcast.
2: At ako si Inday Espinavarona. It's October 21. Itong tekateka Teka, Balita para sa mga huli sa Balita.
1: Tekateka, teka. before we proceed, if you're listening to Tekateka, teka, then chances are you already also know about Puma Podcast. But please be aware that we have also now put Tekateka teka on its own channel wherever you podcast. So if you want to binge just the news, please do follow Tekateka. Teka. But continue to follow Puma Podcast because as you know, marami tayong ginagawa na iba pang mga proyekto.
2: Rob, you used to be a journalist in Thailand, so you must see a lot of stories about these protests and social media.
1: Totoyan Indai, I, I spent six years in Thailand as executive director of the Southeast Asian Press Alliance. As you know, Thailand is a constitutional monarchy. That basically means the king of Thailand officially serves as the head of state, but officially also government is run by civilians. Now, notwithstanding that arrangement, citizens have traditionally avoided statements that could be construed as critical of the royal family because of very harsh, very strong, less majesty laws which outlaw defaming, insulting, or threatening members of the royal family. And this is at the center of what has gotten some protesters in trouble because in being critical of government, some student protesters are being accused of being critical of the monarchy as well. Last week, two protesters were charged for yelling near the Queen's Motorcade in the course of a political rally. And now they face a potential sentence of life in prison. Pero tuloy ang protests.
2: That's right. Tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets of Bangkok, they've been demanding three things from the government. One, the dissolution of parliament, a stop to the harassment of government critics, and they also want to draft a new constitution. Those are major asks.
1: Raja Aisha has been looking into this.
3: Robbie, Indai? Thailand's student-led protests began at the start of the year, when the courts dissolved a prominent opposition party called Future Forward and its leaders were banned from politics for 10 years. Future Forward has criticized the Thai army's influence over politics, and for some time, the rallies paused because of this pandemic. But now, rallies have resumed. But what was interesting in these protests is how much it has been influenced by the youth-led protest in Hong Kong. In fact, some online activists used the hashtag Milk Tea Alliance which is a playful reference to the popular drink that both the Thai and Hong Kong students love. Some of the protest strategies that the Thai picked up from Hong Kong activists include using encrypted messaging services like Telegram to coordinate protests. They've also been careful about organizing in a way that there are no obvious leaders to avoid getting tracked down, and using hashtags to spread their message as well. The Thai have also adopted the umbrella formation, that was famously used during the Hong Kong protests as shields to create a defense wall against riot police. What has also come in handy are the hand signals barred from Hong Kong protests, like crossing their arms, which the Thai protesters have used as a cautionary sign of impending danger. Hong Kong activists are also showing their support for Thai protesters. On Monday... A small group of pro democracy activists rallied outside the Thai consulate in Hong Kong to show their solidarity with the protesters. They were holding banners that said, Stand with Thailand, and one Facebook group called Thailand and Hong Kong Together listed items that people could donate to Thai protesters. These include raincoats, ammonia, and loudspeakers.
1: Marami Salamat Raja Aisha.
2: Still on news in Southeast Asia, to tumaas uli ang COVID-19 cases in Indonesia, just like the rest of the world. In fact, they have now surpassed the Philippines, but not by far. As of Monday, Indonesia had reported more than 365,000 cases and 12,000 deaths.
1: And that's not far from the 360,000 cases that we have in the Philippines, pero ang sinasabi ng pagkakaiba ay ang testing capacity. To be fair... Our testing capacity has improved immensely over the past few months. But Indonesia has one of the world's lowest COVID-19 testing rates. According to non-profit research project Our World in Data, based out of University of Oxford, Indonesia only tests 8 out of every 1,000 people. That's very concerning for a country with a population of 270 million people.
2: Teka, okay, ano testing rate to Pinas?
1: Sa Pilipinas, 34 people per 1,000.
2: Ah, okay. Well, there's no such thing as too many testing facilities. Especially because COVID cases in the rest of the world have reached 40 million. And this is according to data of the John Hopkins University. Pinakamarami pa rin ang United States at India pagdating sa COVID cases. We heard in our last episode that COVID cases are increasing in Europe, months after they have eased lockdown restrictions. But the World Health Organization says this second wave does not need to happen if only systems are in place to prevent it. Here's Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove from the World Health Organization.
3: There is no inevitable second wave that needs to happen. And I think that many countries which have, as Mike has pointed out, you know, using the systems that are in place, and and many countries in Africa are are in this position, where they have either prevented an outbreak from happening or have crushed the curve. And I think if there's one thing that we can say to everyone, and, and we've said this many times, you know, over the summer in the Northern Hemisphere and others, is use your time wisely. In the time that you have brought these outbreaks under control, stay ready, prepare for more, Because there could be another wave.
1: Let's talk about stories in the Philippines, in particular the anti-terror law. The Department of Justice has released the Implementing Rules and Regulations for the Very Controversial Act. Kat Ventura spoke with our resident legal expert Ted Te about the implications and some concerns that legal experts still have on the IRR itself.
4: Robbie Inday, the anti-terror law was signed last July. And nearly three months since the law took effect, and 37 petitions later, the Justice Department has released online the implementing rules and regulations. Now, people have been waiting for this last piece of the puzzle. Some were hoping that it could bring clarity to some provisions in the anti-terror law, but now it seems to have raised more concerns. Here's Attorney Ted.
5: It cannot change the law, meaning it cannot add anything that the law does not provide and it cannot remove any requirement that the law imposes where the addition or the deletion will substantially change the nature or intent of the law. For example, the new offense that the law provides, inciting to terrorism, which is one of the most objectionable offenses. Under the terrorism law, it simply says any person who without taking part In the commission of terrorism shall incite others to the execution of any of the acts. Now, if we go to the IRR, what it does is to restate part of section 9, break it down into elements, so nothing wrong with that part. But then it ends by saying this and the incitement is done under circumstances that show reasonable probability of success in inciting the commission of terrorism. Now, that phrase, reasonable probability of success, is not found in the law itself. And so the question is, what does that phrase mean? And how will it affect the DOJ in filing cases? How will it affect a person who is accused of a Section 9 offense in terms of his or her defense?
4: One problematic provision in the IRR that was previously not stated in the anti-terror law the requirement for publishing suspected terrorists. Meaning, yung listahan ng Anti-Terror Council ay ilalabas daw nila bago pa man kasuhan ang mga individual o grupo na ito.
5: If this particular item in the IRR is not struck down, then it means that a person on mere suspicion, okay, reasonable ground of suspicion by the ATC, can actually be designated as a terrorist and immediate consequences can follow. Is that it basically provides for a sort of profiling? You know, the person groups would be published as having been designated and people would be able to read that. Freeze orders for assets, surveillance can already be undertaken. And remember, there is no case yet filed in court.
4: At the end of the day, the only purpose of the IRR is to come up with guidelines on how to execute the law. At kung may problema man sa batas mismo, hindi ng IRR na ayusin pa ito.
5: The problem here is that if the law itself is vague, no amount of IRR can cure it because you, you're not allowed to add. So that was the problem from the start. When lawyers, when many groups are objecting that the law is vague, they kept saying, no, we'll fix that in the IRR. You know, that's basic in law. That arises from the principle that the Congress, which is mandated to pass laws, has passed a complete law. And that the law itself, you know, is not deficient. That you don't need to add anything to it. You simply need to flesh it out. And so when an executive body comes up with IRR that, adds to the law. There's an admission that the law was not complete when it was passed, and two, that the executive body is basically legislating.
4: Robbie and I, we should also note that while the IRR did introduce new provisions, there is one provision that was not added, and that is allowing authorities to regulate social media. Narinig na natin yan actually in the past weeks. Some members of the Armed Forces of the Philippines were proposing this. Tapos nangyari rin yung Facebook takedown ng ilang pages allegedly linked to the police. So discussions about regulating social media was up in the air. Pero hindi naman din ito nadagdag.
1: Maraming salamat Kat Ventura. Now, here's a light story, Inday. Nokia is building a mobile network on the moon.
2: Wow! Pero hindi nag-iisa Nokia sa venture na to. The company was selected by NASA as part of the Space Agency's grand plan of getting people like us to live there and establish lunar settlements. At syempre kung nakatiraka doon or anywhere, kakailanganin mo talaga ang signal.
1: The bigger question, of course, Indai, is the how of it. How will Nokia set up a network in space? Considering that, kahit dito sa Earth, internet connection is still pretty dependent on wires.
2: eh. But Nokia says it intends to create the first wireless broadband communication system in space by 2022. That's not too far off. And this would be just in time for NASA's Artemis program, in 2024 which aims to return humans to the moon but this time for a long-term presence
1: and that's it for this episode of Teka Teka before we go we will leave you with this
5: wag kayo magalala ginagawa po namin
1: lahat ang proteksyon ng mga players and lahat ng bone delegates po dito makakaasa po kayo gagawin po namin lahat para maging successful to tumbabble nato Follow our page, Teka Teka, for more news stories and Puma Podcast for more updates on our other podcasts. Muli ako po si Robbie Alampay, Puma Podcast.
2: At ako si Inday Espina Varona.
1: Teka Teka, like Puma Podcast is available on Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by our executive producer, Kat Ventura. It was edited by Mark Silian.
2: reports from Raja, Aisha, maraming salamat po.